Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we take a film studies sort of eye towards films that don't belong in a film studies course, although this particular film could be found in a film studies course. Well, we are in February, so we're doing anti-trash once again in honor of award season. But anti-trash with a spin, we're going to do kind of a, a love month anti-trash, so romance anti-trash. Played once, then. For all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. I'll have what she's having. Love means never having to say you're sorry. I wish I knew how to quit. Why don't you? Why don't you just let me be, huh? I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I would say that's that mattress, man. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> This week's film is Blue is the Warmest Color. It is a, uh, a love story between um, two uh, robots who also turn into dinosaurs. And uh, we'll be talking more about that here. In <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to go for like the, a crayons thing, but you know, that works too. And so uh, we will be getting into that. But before... the, the newest variety of Crayola. <laughs> right. Uh, they're the hot crayons. Uh, we are going to now uh, introduce the disembodied voices, though, that are speaking to you through your generic MP3 playing devices to the extreme right, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I think I might be a lesbian now. Uh, to the slightly less um, far right, if you would, ma'am. My name is Alexander Bohannon, as, and as a kid, I used to eat my scabs. Okay. You yeah. remember that part? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm just, I'm yes, just I do. making sure. My name is Dustin Sells, and I have infinite tenderness for you all, and uh, I am so glad to be uh, talking with you guys about Blue is the Warmest Color. Now, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and so we were not going to tell you about how Optimus Prime dies at the end of this film, but um, we are um, not until after our quick uh, thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews and a quick synopsis from the voice, the cinema, cinema, the cinema, whatever this is. A cinema. I'm, I'm, I'm being all Frenchy French with my words right now. So, um, Arthur Gordon, if you would bring that uh, synopsis at this time, sir. La vie d'Adèle Estranger, quand elle rencontre Emma, un jeune femme aux cheveux bleus qui le permettre de découvrir les décès, de s'affirmer en tant que femme et en tant qu'adulte, en France, de son tour, Adèle se développe, se cherche, se perd et se retrouve à travers le bourg et la perte définitive. Oh, I'm sorry, let me change the uh, audio settings real quick, guys, I forgot to... Okay, there we go. 
Adele's life is changed when she meets Emma, a young woman with blue hair, who will allow her to discover desire to assert herself as a woman and as an adult. In front of others, Adele grows, seeks herself, loses herself, and ultimately finds herself through love and loss. Yeah, well done, sir. Very, very, very well done, sir. That that was the single proudest moment of my life right now. Yeah, well, that was priceless. I, I raised him from a hatchling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to be talking about this movie. We're going to give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews as to our opinions regarding this film. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, do you like this movie? Uh, this was my hosty host pick. I had not seen it before, and it was in my to-watch queue for quite a while. Um, before I get into um, talking about what I thought of the movie, I'm just going to kind of explain um, a bit of philosophy I have on ratings. I haven't really got into that. I know Arthur um, Arthur Dalton and Dustin have all gone into philosophy of ratings. Um, they're letterboxed, and I just kind of wanted to talk about mine for one second before I got into that. Before you do that, I want to now offer a course called the philosophy of ratings. I want, <laughs> I, I want to teach that class so bad right now. To, to clarify, listener, because it actually took me a second. I don't know if it took you a second. I believe Alex is talking about star ratings star as opposed ratings. to MPAA ratings. Oh, Correct. yes. So, stars. Stars. But yeah, Arthur, D- Dustin, and I all have like a breakdown of what our star ratings mean on our letterbox profiles. Yeah, exactly. Um, like um, you know, rating potential boyfriends or girlfriends on like the ten point scale that you know people tend to do sometimes. A lot of people I've read on the internet have a really great way of saying what differentiates a nine from a ten is pretty much personal preference. Like you can be objective, like one through nine. But nine to ten is kind of objective and up to taste. I feel that way most. Yeah, one, four, four and a half, and five. When it comes to me rating a film star wise, yeah, totally. That's just based on how much I like it. Right, and so I am gonna put that caveat before I go into my review. I really like this film. Um, it is, you know, a really interesting, tender exploration of but it, what it means to be a young lesbian person in Europe and in today in general. Um, but it, at the same time, it, it still doesn't make that four to five for me. I definitely rate it, you know, four stars out of five. It is a good film. I really can't find anything wrong with it that would stop it from becoming a five. But it just, there's something about it that doesn't make it there for me. Didn't really connect with you. Yeah, I, I, I still like it. And it still connects with, with me on some level. I don't know if it's um, the fact that watching this film is so close to kind of just watching some watching someone's day-to-day life it's kind of following them around with a, a video camera mm-hmm. there, i mean to the f- point where there's really not any score except for that little bit at the end i, I don't know it just there's some piece just like the whole fight club thing for arthur and um dustin that it's just like doesn't fully connect with me but i still acknowledge that it's a well-done film um, I do want to watch it again. I think I would enjoy watching it again. Maybe whenever I have more time, maybe when I can actually watch it one setting all the way through because I had to break it up, you know, like a lot of long movies you have to do. Yeah, I just really don't have anything bad to say about it, but I feel like there's not a lot good I can say about it either. Isn't That's fair. that weird? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't mean. know. Yeah. I, but I do like it. So four out of five, I don't know, just four out of five pretentious stars, I guess. Very well played, Miss Bohannon. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think of this film? It's a fine movie. 
you know, I, I don't feel like length or runtime is ever something that should enter into your objective rating of a film, but that said... Yeah, it's a little long. So, it's, it's too a, bloody long. It could have been condensed two hours easily, maybe an hour. I, I mean, I don't have. I, I don't know. You could have cut some of the sex scenes down, probably would have saved yourself a lot of time and trouble. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. It, it's fine. I, I think there are better relationship movies. I think there are better uh, gay relationship movies. I think there are better French movies. I think there are better movies about women. I think there are better movies about how one relationship can go to define go on to define you know five years of your life i just think there's better movies um i don't really see what the big deal is having you know two years of buzz surrounding it because i mean it won the palm door it can um it was on a lot of critics in the year lists for 2013 and i like it a lot i don't i don't want to sound disparaging at all i think it's very well made i think uh lisa do and um adele exercopolis are are really good in this um also, Exarchopolis is such a fun name to say. Yes. Um, I think they're both great, I think, and I can see why the uh, the judges panel at Cannes decided to award the Palme d'Or to them as well as to the director. Strangely chaired by Steven Spielberg. Did you uh, read what he had to say about it? I did not. I thought it was really... He, he said some really nice things about it. So, again, I'm kind of in the same camp as Alex. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I I, I don't really understand some choices that were made. I think that... There, there might have been better ways to do some of the things that were done in this film. It just didn't connect for me. I give it seven sixty nines out of a possible ten sixty nines. Wow, that's a lot of numbers. Thank you very much, <laughs> Mr. Dalton Stewart. I don't know what he's talking about. That doesn't mean anything to wah, me. Wah. Uh, so, Dustin, what, what do you think, bud? Yeah, well, I'm interested. You're the only one that had seen this before. Well, I obviously connected on a very, very personal level because I did used to be a um, you know French female school teacher who was a lesbian and uh so i mean you know uh unlike fight club well yeah as a vaguely ethnic french action actor i you know i've just felt like a side character <laughs> shouting alu akbar i also that was really priceless i also want to say as another caveat that it's not the fact that i can't relate to the characters which dis dissolves my connection yeah, because I, I, wanna... I mean as a female i can understand like what they're going through and i understand the perils of being in a relationship and i'm sure dalton would say the same thing yeah. even though he's not the same gender and he's a heterosexual male i think it's very important to point that out uh yeah i, I don't want anybody to go well dalton didn't connect to it because he's he's a cisgendered you know stupid fucking white boy yeah exactly. no i assure you that is not what it is because there are films about uh gay women there are films about gay men there are films there are all sorts of relation films relationship films uh english language or otherwise that i do really connect to and do really feel emotionally compelled by in this i was just objectively compelled i, I wasn't yeah i didn't i didn't feel tugs at my heartstrings really Anyway, sorry, we didn't need to step on you. No, no. But, but though, as a French female um, school teacher, again, I do feel that sort of emotional connection. Um, not really. That we'll never really understand. That, that no one, no one will understand. Uh, no, it's 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 fine. It, it, it's a very good coming of age story. I mm -hmm. mean, that that's yeah. really what it is. Um, the the sex is sort of incidental and, uh, frankly, sort of unnecessary. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, well, at least the the length and the extent thereof. Well, I just I was surprised. Uh, Heath made this comment because we were watching it together, and he goes, "So it's basically." They go and do something, and then they come back and have sex, and they go and do something else, and they come back and have just sex. like real life. Yeah, yeah. I don't 
don't know whose life they're. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah, it, it, it's fine. It's very well. I really kind of like the um, art house aesthetic to it. Um, I, you know, that sort of standard, you know, international cinema aesthetic that they're, they're going for. That's why the limited score and the sort of um, handheld camera use. And I'll tell you what, that shot where she sees Emma for the first time, fucking great. Well, the fact that there's an addressing a question of predestination in the classroom right before that, like mm-hmm. it's this faded moment of but, first love. But, yeah. that, but the handy cam that's happening right there, and it's just kind of this really very fluid, very lyrical um, co- shot composition is just back and forth between their faces. I mean, I really like some of the visual choices made in this film. I just maybe don't need a 30. I don't I don't need 12 tracking shots of Adele walking through a cafe. I just don't for real. And that that's really the one thing I would say uh, about the movie. It's just it's just too stinking long. I mean, it really is. Um I don't know about a two-parter, you know, because then we go into like that sort of nymphomaniac. Yeah, that's what I was thinking with the where it like does that kind of stuff or and whatever. I, and I'm not I'm not sure we want that to happen. Um but it it's a it's a very good story. It's heartbreaking. It's um I mean, you know, they talk about finding herself at the end in the synopsis. I am not convinced of that conclusion. Ditto. I I actually have some hope about it, and I'll get into that in my analysis, and I'll tell you why. I'm I'm open to hearing that. Yeah. Uh, but that, 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 that again, that was just my initial sense of it. I think again, it's a very well made film. I think uh, the performances um, by Sadu and uh, Exarpolis are Exarpolis. Exarpolis. Polychronopolis is um, <laughs> fantastic. Necropolis. They, they they really really do a good job, and uh, I mean they they are I mean her especially Adele's um, just face acting when there's these moments of confrontation of sadness of of, of you know arousal uh, joy all of these sort of moments you know when she's conflicted when she's teaching school after the big breakup um, and that's not a spoiler dear listener oh, man yeah Dustin absolutely there, there's a scene where they're they're doing like the weird dance party. Which mm-hmm. God kindergarten France looks fucking sweet. Yeah, but, yeah. Learn about different cultures. But and that stuff? yeah, she's just kind of got this 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 heart. She's wearing it on her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's it's just trying not there. to go through the motions. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to watch. That yeah, she's she's really amazing. So um, I, I like it a lot. I I give it um oh I don't know four and a half um very awkward um cafe interactions out of a possible <sighs> six. Alrighty, well, thank you very much, guys. Now, dear listener, you know where we stand, both pro and con, towards the film, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to bring analysis, and I'm very excited to hear the analysis of my dear co-hosts. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? All right, listener, let's talk about sex. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Specifically, let's talk about sex in the cinema, uh, and I think it's a very valuable conversation to have with this film. He means on screen, not in the cinema. Not literally. Oh my in the gosh! Cinema. Like the raincoats are. Although there is sex on in the cinema on screen, um, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Um, but no, I, I want to talk about yeah you know, the, the film depictions of sex, sexuality, intercourse at all, because you cannot talk about blue is the warmest color without talking about all the damn sex there is, specifically. The I, I guess you could call it the, the sex set piece that is about ten minutes long, uh, of just some some sweet girl on girl. Is it? I, I, it's it's boring. It, it it's yeah. Like, no, I was kidding. It, yes, it, it it's like um 
you know, you're selling a new blender and you're showing all the different features that it has and the, the switching of positions, it, it, it's just, it's, it's completely sort of fabricated and unrealistic. And I don't know about, it, I mean, it's, it was erotic. It was, I mean, I, I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's sexy. But I'm like, what, what is the, okay. I, okay. Okay. They're, they like each other a lot. Okay. I, okay. The sex is good. They care about, oh, oh nope. There's okay. Nope. Oh. Uh, and the scenes, nope, Steve, nope, not over yet. Nope. And it's, I, I get why there should be sex scenes in this film, and I get why maybe they should be fairly explicit. I don't have a problem with that at all. I have a problem with justify to me why this scene is 10 minutes long. Scissoring is not really a thing, and I think that's important for me to say right now. Uh, listener, this show does always carry an explicit tag, but we're talking about sex, so it's necessarily going to get a little bit explicit. And we'll probably get more explicit than the actual film. Um, I'm glad it doesn't have that sort of clinical gynecological detail that pornography has. No, yeah. That's the, really unnecessary. That definitely would have been a bridge too far. But I know personally uh, enough lesbians, but also I've listened to enough interviews with lesbian actresses, comedians, just whatever. I've been exposed to the gay community enough to know that scissoring is not really a thing. And the fact that a film that is just like, look at these two lesbians who love each other so much, has a scissoring scene, I find really off-putting. And again, it's not to say that you can't have a lot of sex in a film. It's not to say that you can't have graphic sex in a film. It's to say that there better be a fucking point to it. Because this is not a Steven Seagal movie from 1993, and you're not just showing us boobs to titillate us. This is a very artistic film about love, about growing up, about finding yourself. So if you're going to show me a lot of sex, there better be a good reason for it. And if you're going to show me 10 damn uninterrupted minutes of hot, hot sex, Jesus Christ, justify it to me. And I don't feel like blue is the warmest color, does it? I'll tell you what's a film that does have some hot girl-on-girl sex that totally justifies every bit of sex there is, and that's Boys Don't Cry. Now, is that because it's written and directed by a gay woman? I don't know. Probably. The answer is yes. Yeah. Okay, I knew the answer to the question. Yes, the answer is yes. Is the problem with Blue is the Warmest Color that it's directed by a straight man? I don't know, but I bet you, I'd bet my pony that it probably has something to do with it. Because Homeboy did not need to shoot 10 minutes of sex. Did not need to shoot 10 minutes of sex. And I can't say that enough. And for me, it's a problem. Um, with with the film, it really is. Um, because Dustin's right. The sex is kind of perfunctory in this. Um, now, again, I think it does serve a purpose. I think some of the shorter sequences are very well shot. They're all very well. The whole movie's well shot. So, obviously, the sex is well shot. So... It, it it's fine that there's sex in there. Again, I don't want you to think that I'm saying, nope, no sex in movies, because 110 episodes in, you should know by now that that's not really something that bothers me. But what I what I am trying to say is that 10 minutes is too damn long. Because uh, it, it starts after a certain point to feel like, I don't know, the sex scene in 300 is the best thing, that the closest example I can come to. It's just like, we're going to show Lena Headey and Gerard Butler in really far too many positions for a theatrically released film. Like... We we don't need the change up. Come on, now you're just finding an excuse to show different angles of these two people's bodies, which is where it starts to skitter around the edge of just titillating for its own sake. It's not titillating so you can feel the tenderness and 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 the love and and that ex- that 
physical act. It, it's just titillating for its own sake. That, and I think it falls off the precipice of um, exploitation at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, for a film that doesn't do that anywhere else other than its sex scenes, it's a real problem. If you're an exploitative film, whatever, fine. That's the kind of movie you are, and if that's the kind of content that you want to put into the world, go for it. Go f- sally forth and fuck. But if you're trying to make a film that purports to be a very emotional film, a very, quote, realistically shot film, very, you know, emotionally engrossing film, justify the sex to me. Justify your love, as the great Madonna would say. Well, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? I really enjoyed that reading. That was that was quite spot on. Well, it's really, not really much of a reading, but yeah, I thank mean, you. but like a, a critique um, about the content. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about better sex than Elsa instead, probably. Sure. I um, I have a quick little thing about the title before I go into like what I'm actually going to talk about for my analysis. Um, it turns out that I learned this only at the very end of the film that the title of the film in French is not the French language version of "Blue is the warmest cover, color, whatever that is translated." It is the is it the story or the. The Life. The yeah. Life. La Vida Adele, yeah. Yeah, so the, the life, life of Adele, chapters one and two. And I think changing that to blue is the warmest color from that to that um, completely changes how you watch this movie. Because I went going, okay, this is about a girl that falls in love with another girl that happens to have blue hair. I didn't go into it thinking, this is a girl a girl by the name of Adele, because I didn't even know her name watching this movie for yeah, quite it, a while. It makes it about Adele and him instead of just Adele. Yes, exactly. And I think that I, I kind of feel cheated out of watching this movie, the fact that it was called Blue is the Warmest Color. I know that's getting really in the weeds, nitpicking about the name translation, but I don't know why they didn't leave it alone. I don't know why they justified changing the name. It's probably marketing. I, I guess. I guess that's a sexier way to market because there's a girl with blue hair on the po- the poster, and it says "blue is the warmest color." And hey, man! I oh, think it's, it's a, about it's girls. A, it's a good title. Uh, oh, it's a great title, but then it also makes every instance of blue really obvious and an interesting. <laughs> yeah. w- like it's like so obvious a reading. It's like the Lord of the Rings reading in the interview. It's like that obvious at that point. Um, you know, it's like, oh, blue means this and the blue goes away and the love goes away, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Thank you for making that just like nail, like so, so obvious. Swish. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, I, I'm really quibbling about that. I wish they just left it alone because I would have watched this in a, t- in kind of a different way if I didn't go into it thinking, you know, this is a love story versus this is a coming of age story. Okay. The thing I really want to talk about is about the depiction of art in this film, because I think it really has something to say. Um, I really found it interesting the um, in the party sequence in the background, you have that. I don't know what film they're showing, Mr. Uh, do you know? Pandora's Box 1927. Thank you. I knew he would know. I was just like, I don't even did. need to Google this. I'll just, I'll just ask. Now, Dustin. did you really know, Dustin, or did you look it up? I, I knew. I know that. It's, it's, it, yeah, I knew. I'm proud of you. I'm sorry. I'm kind of douchey now how's that phd program going it's nobody cares it's a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) okay well so adding on top of knowing that it's pandora's box 1927 that makes that scene even more um interesting considering the fact that the art in this movie just i mean the whole adage of art imitates life really just goes 
is the theme I'd say of a lot of the portrayals of art in this movie, because you have the Pandora's box. Now that I know it's that movie, they, I mean, the fact that she is with the guy she ends ends up having an affair with that's at opening Pandora's box. And then her life is basically flushed down the toilet. Um, So that is one interesting way. And the fact that all of the stuff on screen, you would mean in that scene, in that scene. Yeah. I don't think that guy's there. That guy. The guy she has the affair with? I, don't think I thought, there. She, I thought I think, that was... I thought so, too. No, I th- she had I the, thought she the, had the affair with the actor. Oh, no. no, no she no, had no. the affair with one of her uh, colleagues at work. It really was a colleague. Yeah, one oh. of the other school teachers. Oh, you know, you're right. You're right, Dalton. Yeah. It's, it's okay, because I, I thought it was that guy, but it turns out it was the other guy. Well, it still opens up the Pandora's box of being uh, emotionally dissatisfied. Well, also, the person that Emma does leave Adele for is there. Yeah. Yeah, that I know. That and was Emma is clearly flirting. Right. Oh, no, most it's deaf. I mean, there is some issue. I mean, of course, Adele did violate the bonds of her relationship, but it, Emma did not really help. I mean, uh, there is I, it is definitely Adele's fault for doing that, but There is a definite sense of them growing apart throughout the yeah. first part of that second half of the movie. Right, exactly. Um and then so the fact that she the Pandora's box is being open is her flirting with the other woman is, is apparent. And then the other issue of her Adele being the muse, I found it interesting that, so you have the stuff with Adele being her muse and she is painted and portrayed, etc. But then whenever you shift and she's being portrayed with all the blues, yeah, yeah, we get the blue. Um, by the time we get to the art show, um, she, Emma has painted herself with the other woman um, together. And so it kind of demonstrates this shift from having this one person, you know, being your idol, maybe objectifying them a bit. Because, I mean, Emma wasn't necessarily a saint in this movie either because she did, like, cheat on that first girlfriend. I always assumed she cheated on the first girlfriend. Yeah, she totally did. Yeah, so the fact that she kind of objectified Emma and that's kind of what she was into portraying her eventual relationship in art as a relationship is just, it's really interesting to me to see the shift from the the blue to the red and the, you know, single solitary image to this is what I am now. This is who I want to be with um, at the very end there. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about the ish, the fact that there is no, not really a score except for that one little piece of uh, steel drum, I guess, at the very end. Mm-hmm. Which, if you go back to the first scene where she sees Emma for the first time, that's where the steel drum first comes into play. Well, she, yeah, she mentions that she likes reggae to Thomas um, on the bus. But then there's, yeah, there's a scene of a street performer playing a steel drum. Right. And mm. so in that exact little rendition of the steel drum is at the very end. Um, so that's why I kind of got this sense that it wasn't a hopeless situation for her. So yeah, maybe she, I'm glad it didn't wrap up in the, Oh, she goes back to the man and because she only needed a man in her life kind of deal. But she, I do get the sense that she's met someone and she might end up with them in the future because that the, the steel drum is correlated with like the prophetic it's fate type language that was right before that scene with, with her seeing her for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
then you could say, oh, well, the steel drum starts playing and, you know, he tries to run after her but goes the wrong way. Um, so there might be something there. And I, but I do like that it's kind of a wistful. It's not a door shut on it and it could not ever end up being anything. But I like to be optimistic and think that there's going to be something there. So that's kind of the instances of art and how they really affect some of the tonal stuff in this movie. Well, thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Um, just as a caveat, as you see that art on display um, at, at the show at the end of the film, um, it's very much reminiscent of a, uh, a British artist um, called James Roper, uh, especially his Hypermask collection. And, uh, um, dear listener, if that was interesting to you at all, that might be something you'd want to look into in the future. Um, just, again, if, if, if you're interested in that exploration of art that's there. Um, when I come to this film in terms of analysis, there's a couple things um, that I, I, I want to think about before I get to really what I want to talk about. Um, and uh, one of those things is just uh, the depiction of French culture and French teenagers and uh, sort of what they are and what they're about um, in France as opposed to American kids. Because... Adele is marching in protests, mm-hmm. and I just I just want to say that's really awesome. Now there's this sort of switch where she becomes in, in, enmeshed in sort of identity politics, and she's marching in the gay pride parade, but she's in an anti-austerity um, yeah, I, march. Yeah, at, that was at fun. The, yeah, it was really really cool. I'm like, man, I wish we had um, teenagers who were in high school who were that um, concerned with and cared that much about politics. So the, you know, that's just sort of an initial observation um, that I would want to bring uh, to the film. Now, I want to talk about it in terms of a uh, gay slash queer cinema. I'm do a little bit of queer theory, um, which is uh, definitely speaking out of school, having never actually been a uh, French lesbian school teacher in my life, um, to be totally honest. That was actually a joke, dear listener. I know you were... Wait, believing. really? Yeah. Oh. They all believe me, I'm sure. I did. And uh, there's sort of this history of telling these gay stories in uh, film, and I think even though this is a French film, even though this is a Palme d'Or winner from Cannes, it's in many ways uh, simply a film that is... Um, trying to somehow tame gayness to make it more palatable for heterosexual audiences. So I'd like to begin with uh, a brief history of gayness in film and uh, the way Hollywood overall has treated this. And of course I recognize, again, this is not a Hollywood film, but I think it's definitely steeped in that tradition. And uh, gayness, uh, Suzanne uh, Sontag talked about camp in terms of gayness. And uh, that's, that. you know, you find that very early on, especially in terms of drag. And uh, there's a long tradition uh, of that, you know, from some like it hot all the way to uh, to Wong Fu and Patrick Swayze and uh, yes, Wesley Snipes in drag, and uh, that is a thing that happened. And uh, a PG rated drag film, also strange, in which a man in a dress is nearly raped. I find that bizarre. In is it terms PG? Of, I believe so. I could be wrong. I know uh, it's not R, but I assumed it was PG thirteen. I'm gonna say it's PG. And uh, go with that, dear listener. By all means, go ahead and correct us. Now, I'm cribbing a lot of resources right now um, from the Journal and Film and Video article by Alex Evans called How Homo Can, How Homo Can Hollywood Be? Remaking Queer Authenticity from Tu Wong Fu to Brokeback Mountain. And uh, so, so this history goes where, again, they're, they're, they're played up for laughs, they're played up for silly, or they're coded gay. I'm thinking um, specifically of uh, The Killing, the Stanley Kubrick film, in which there's clearly a gay-coded ca- character, but that character is being used as a villain. And so that is something that seems to be pretty often uh, frequently used in, in, uh, in early, ho- or not early, but classical period Hollywood cinema. I was in- thinking about uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah, it's uh, another good speaking example. Speaking of a, a positive portrayal of a, of a gay man that is coded gay and is gay in the play but is not gay in the film because 
as much as Paul Newman wanted the character to be gay, that just was not going to happen in but, a 1960s film. Right, but still played up for the sort of flamboyancy, you know, sort of mm-hmm. a comedic foil um, in many times. It, it, is that not, is no. not your reading of Cat on the Hot Tin? I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. I mean, obviously, Elizabeth Taylor definitely berates him for not being a real man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like his his portrayals of there is very positive. And again, I've been in interviews with Paul Newman. He talks about how he, he, you know, in his performance, he was portraying a gay person. Okay. Well, maybe maybe that's an, uh, a film that re- would suggest another viewing. But th- th- there's sort of this movement that happens that way, you know. And of but no, the- yeah, definitely early. I was thinking of Billy Crystal. I can't remember the name of that TV show. But the first uh, gay man on a primetime show, and mm-hmm. he was played for laughs yeah and, and you know the apotheosis of this sort of drag queen thing is in priscilla queen of the desert and uh to wong fu and uh you know robin williams's performance in the birdcage uh nathan lane i'm thinking of him especially in this case um and then there are these other stories in which there are gay characters but they're basically just coded as men and women and uh, male and female and then moving a little further forward to brokeback mountain where even though um the two characters played by uh, jill and hall and by heath ledger are uh, you know, clearly gay characters that are conflicted about their gayness. They're definitely men. They're man's men. They're, they're sort of safe men uh, to be around. And that, I think that's Evans's um, take on it. And I think it's an accurate take. And what we have in Blue is the Warmest Color is a, a similar sort of thing. You have a clear woman and a clear man in the gay relationship with uh, Emma being the man. Um, she looks quite mannish and she, she, you know, she wears suit coats and, and has short hair and those sorts of things. And then, of course, um, Adele is definitely much more feminine as a character. And they are in this sort of uh, making house together sort of relationship that is, in, in many ways, uh, coded as very much a heterosexual relationship. And, uh, you know, and Adele seems to have, I don't, I'm not convinced Adele is gay as much as she is uh, sexually omnivorous um, throughout the film. Are you, would you guys agree with that? I think there might be something to that, yeah. Um, I, I believe in the graphic novel that the film is based on, she is portrayed as bisexual. But yeah, no, there's something to that. I mean, her obviously her you know, early sexual experiences with the dude are pretty unsatisfying for her. Uh, but she, she, there are certain seems to be an attraction to men. I mean, in that dinner party when Emma's flirting with uh, mm-hmm. her, her pregnant friend, uh, Adele definitely seems to be kind of hitting it off and flirting with that actor. I mean, I, I, there, I think there might be something to that, though, yeah. And it does seem that the uh, the dissatisfaction that she experiences with this sort of a high school boyfriend at the very first part of the film is not so much because... Um, uh, of just uh, there's a lack of connection in, in as far as a sexual orientation sense. It just seems to me that they don't connect well. Yeah. That they themselves yeah. are they're just sort of a poor match. Which leads to her discovering the other side of her sexuality. Right. Think, but right. The, also the fact that she felt so pressured from her peer group be like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. are you going to have sex with them? Have you had sex with them? Of course you've had sex with them. God, oh God, my gosh. I awful. hated all of her friends. They're awful. They're all awful people. Very, very bad people. I, I totally agree. And uh, the movie, you know, continues on uh, with this sort of, you know, seeking this, you know, monogamous, um, you know, Ozzy and Harriet sort of relationship, except for it's just Harriet and Harriet. And uh, again, it, it again sort of normalizes uh, gayness in terms of uh, heterosexual norms. And uh, again, so, so her attraction to the, you know, ambiguously ethnic guy who um, obviously always plays terrorists in an American film, which is funny and that was a good little piece of commentary it is it is and 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 whatnot that that works its way throughout the film it it seems to me that again now we see that these women are safe that they are okay to be around that they're not sort of a threat 
to um, you know heterosexual relationships, or they're not sort of a threat to uh, the heterosexual hegemony of culture. And it seems to me that the film establishes um, this couple as again a, a safe couple, and and, and the, the sex itself is. Although there's not room for a dude there, it is definitely filmed in a way for a guy to watch. Um, and I think that sort of is the intended audience of that. Definitely. I'd say even to extend that to the masturbation sequence as well. Correct. Um, yeah. Definitely a lot of male gaze in that. And there's kind of room because there's only one person. But Right, right. And, and, and so, again, it, it, it's a normalizing view. And, it you know, we're looking at um, sex between two heterosexual women actors, actresses. Um, and it does it does seem to be like two straight girls um, doing the gay thing out on screen. Again, the performances are quite good, but I don't know that it really seems like. And um, I've I've seen some reports from lesbians who see who see it in similar ways. Although many of my lesbian friends love this film, um, you know, for for various reasons, I'm sure. Uh, they're they're they go on. And again, sort of established that heteronormativity, um, the, the, the only possibility that Adele seems to have for any future um, relationship is with um, our ambiguously ethnic um, actor, um, but played by an ambiguously ethnic actor, which is um, way meta in crazy ways. And it, again, I, we don't really have um, queer cinema here. It, it seems to me that this is not a real relationship uh, between uh, you know people who are gay, and it's not really a depiction of what gay relationships um, are like and the way that it actually works out. It, again, it seems to be a sanitization, um, almost a disnification uh, of that sort of relationship, you know, which is a weird thing to say about a movie with 10-minute sex scenes. Yeah, disnification, but with more fisting. <laughs> well, see, that's it. There isn't any. I, yeah, I, precisely. Man, I thought about that, and precisely. it fucking bothered me. And, and, and that that's my point. It, yeah. it, it is very, very straight in the way that it's played. And uh, so I, for, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm happy, I guess, to see films that kind of normalize or de- depict um, those sorts of relationships. There needs to be more room for those stories. But we need more of those stories being told by lesbians. We need more of those stories told by gay men, written by those sorts of people. Although the source material may indeed have a gay author, I don't even know. Uh, I think she is. I don't I, I, I want to say yes, but I'm, I, I fear being wrong. So okay, but the the, the point, the, I think the point still remains um, um, tacit at this point, um, and, and so that's that's really what's troubling about these sort of you know celebration um, of gayness type films that we're having right now. That we're really not getting into what's real queer cinema, and uh, that there's a room for that. And uh, you know, I'm thinking films like Orlando. I'm thinking about. Films by uh, Derek Jarmusch, and uh, those are uh, Jarman, excuse me, are, are, are better opportunities maybe to to think about what's going on uh, there uh, with the film. But again, it's it's very fun. I like it very much, but it's not queer cinema, and we've yet to see much of that in in sort of a mainstream release. The gaze of the film with a Z now. Uh, that that's going on is definitely sort of a male objectifying gaze. I mean, the camera loves her face, but there's another asset that she has that the camera seems to love over and over and over again, sleeping in bed, taking showers, you know, those sort of things. So there, there, there are these views that the camera takes, and it, it is clearly um, because the director, um, he likes big butts and he cannot lie. And uh, that's sort of his problem, I those guess. Those French brothers cannot deny. They, they, they really can't. Um, and so that's that's definitely something going on in the film. And so really, 
you know, um, I, I'm thinking because I have a great many um, gay, lesbian, you know, LBGT friends, and uh, that 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 are championing this film. And as a straight guy, I feel weird saying this, but I'm like, I'm not sure this is the movie for that. Uh, I, that that's that's really the problem. I think that the reading I'm offering is trying to stir up is I'm not sure this is the movie for that championing. Well, I think that that your questioning of that is just speaks to the fact of the lack of the kind of transgressive cinema that you want. I mean, this is probably the closest they've, they, we have had in however many years of trying to portray that relationship accurately. But I mean, maybe this is more of like, this is the closest thing that I have to what I am experiencing hypothetically if I were a gay woman, you know? I, I don't know. Like, maybe that's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, any step forward's a step forward, maybe. You know, maybe they're they're very happy to see Jack Lemmon in drag in the 60s, even though it's not even close, or, or you know, Hugo Weaving or Guy Pierce later. So so maybe even though those things are not accurate, it's always helpful. But I, I, I worry, though, because they are inaccurate, that they, in, in some ways, they eat their own tails and they become unhelpful. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit better grain, but there's still rat poison in it. And uh, that, that troubles me, you know, with regard to the film. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for that bit of analysis. Um, we had a lot to talk about with this particular film, dear listener. I'm sure there's many other things that we could have talked about a little bit more. For instance, just the fact that even though a person is very sexually compatible, there are other traits that are necessary. We didn't even talk about the fact that Adele seems to be over her head with uh, Emma and Emma's lot uh, on, on sort of an intellectual level. And that's part of the uh, real need there. And so there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And that's just a seed of food for thought. We'd love to hear your uh, reflections on that, dear listener. And so we would love to hear that feedback from you all. Um, but first, we need to render a verdict. Shell for trash, else or instead, on blue is the warmest color. Alex Bohannon, what do you say? Shell for trash, else or instead? Um, I would say stream it. Stream it is probably the best option. It is on Netflix. You can get an untranslated version on YouTube, but then there's like translated applications you can get for that. I tried to explore that, but I ended up just finding my Netflix credentials because that was easier. So um, streaming it would be the best option. I don't feel like this is necessary to own unless you really, really, really like it. And I think it's good, but I don't really, really, really like it. Um, I, I don't know if you, I guess if you want another long foray into portrayals of lesbians in cinema, you could watch Mulholland Drive. I think that's a good recommend, and it seems to be uh, less um, of a man's gaze, even though it is from a straight man. Right. I mean, there is that part near the, there's that one part during the end where it's still in like that kind of Hollywood mode, but then when it cuts to quote real life, you know, um, there's not really any room for a man in that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much dry for any other recommendations. I'm sure my dear co-hosts will have some other else's slash insteads. All right. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash, else or instead? I mean, I certainly don't want to trash it for some of the reasons we were talking about towards the tail end of your analysis, Dustin. And any step forward's a step forward. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Alex and say stream it. Uh, it's a, I'd say it's valuable. I'd say it's well-made. Um, and I'd say if you've got three hours to kill... Um, and are in that mood for that kind of movie, then yeah, give it a shot. Um, but I mean, it's, I don't think it's, you know, essential viewing. It's a very specific mood. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, 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 feel... I don't know if I'd ever have been in this mood if I hadn't have 
been forced to watch over the podcast. Well, you know? I mean, I chose to watch it. It was my host pick, but you, that's why I wanted to like because this it's assigned was... viewing. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, but I think it is valuable, and I think it is very well made. So I am going to say stream it. Um, I, I'm going to recommend else that you check out a fried green tomatoes, which is not explicitly about lesbian love, but is uh, very much there in the subtext, and also just a fabulous movie. A really good. It's just a. It makes you feel good. Um, and Mary Louise Parker is aces in that movie. Uh, I mean, she's great. That's an excellent selection. The, the, the secret is in the sauce. The secret is in the sauce, and the secret is that they're gay. Uh, and if it's very easy um, to not, and that I, that does speak to that disnification of making it palatable, or, um, palatable rather, um, for the mainstream, particularly in the early '90s. Um, but again, it is very clearly about two women who very much love each other, so I think you should check that out. Um, I mentioned it once already, but Boys Don't Cry, which is uh, great, um, and by a, a lesbian woman, and, and although it is about Brandon who was a, a trans man, so it's not explicitly a lesbian film, it, it is definitely very much a valuable LGBT film, um, and a really kind of heartbreaking film, and is valuable and is important because it directs, uh, or, or I'm sorry, depicts real life events. Um, but that isn't the only reason it's good. Um, great performances uh, all around from everyone in that cast in a very moving film. Um, and again, not overtly sexy sex, sexy sex, but that isn't explicit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm at a loss for words. It doesn't have the same, it's sex scenes don't have the same problem that this film's does. Um, and also has a great moment of realism that was cut by the MPAA in which Hillary Swank wipes her mouth uh, after a, an act of love. And um, fuck you, MPAA. You guys Wait, should... that was, I mean, that was cut? Um, I think they shortened it down. They might have cut it entirely, but boys don't cry. She goes down on Chloe Sevigny and then she looks back up at her and wipes her mouth. And the MPAA did not like that at all. Um, you can learn more about this in the documentary. This film is not yet rated. Huh. Um, but we'll yeah. be learning about that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a great documentary that you should check out. That, you know, if you're curious about the NC-17 rating of this film, maybe watch that documentary. Um, uh, this film is not yet rated. Um, I would also recommend just two other films that kind of, well, one's a film, one's a TV show that came to mind about women's issues. Uh, Bound by the Wachowskis, um, which is prior to uh, Lana's transition, um, but is... A really great noir film that also just happens to be about two women um, in a relationship together. Uh, Orange is the New Black, which is probably the most valuable depiction of women's issues um, available right now that's that's happening. Uh, and as far as a great film about relationships, or I, I'm sorry, I should say a good film about relationships that has some amazing scenes, uh, and that's Closer, um, directed by... Oh my goodness, I can't remember his name. He just passed away fairly recently. Uh, but it's got Natalie Portman... And Jude Law and Clive Owen and Julie Roberts, uh, and that's basically those are pretty much the only people in this film. Uh, but the breakup scene uh, between Emma and Adele really made me think of the scene um, with Clive Owen and Julie Roberts. That is one of my favorite breakup scenes in the history of film breakups. Um, I think you should really check it out because it is a valuable film about love and sex that actually doesn't have any sex scenes. Interestingly enough. Um, it's a film that is a lot about sex, but nobody has sex in the movie uh, on camera, which is kind of interesting. So those are my picks. Uh, Dustin, uh, wh- what ha- what is this for you? Shelf or trash? And do you have you, some recommendations? Yeah, I guess I'm going to go with the cop out that everyone else is and I say it is a streamer because it's really not worth owning, it doesn't seem to me. I mean, I, I can't even imagine some sort of DVD special feature. I would be at all interested in knowing 
anything more about, you know, in terms, I mean, interview material maybe with the actresses would be kind of interesting, but I mean, there's plenty of that on the internet already. So, um, I would, I would definitely say the same thing. Um, what else you should watch, um, in terms of, um, Palm door winners from Cannes that are very interesting. I'm going to recommend uncle Boon me who can recall his past lives, mm-hmm. which is a really, it's a, it's definitely an example of slow cinema. And there is a very interesting love scene between a woman and a catfish. Uh, in that particular film, and uh, yeah, I, much more interesting than anything that happens in Blue is the Warmest Color. It's not as crazy as you might think. Um, I'm also going to recommend The Crying Game um, as another oh, yeah. film, and uh, just again, just sort of similar subject matter, and, and uh, dissimilar subject matter in a great many ways as well, and uh, maybe less problematic in a great many ways as well. So um, there is that. And That was why I thought of Bound, actually, despite being explicitly um, exploitational. Uh, it, both in its sex and its violence, is less problematic in its sex, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. Yes. Um, although, this, I don't know if you know this, Dustin, you might. The, the Wachowskis had an onset uh, lesbian advisor. Uh, Did that they? was a friend of theirs to, to make sure that the, those sexual aspects were keeping uh, fairly, you know, uh, accurate as they could keep them. Would have been a good idea on the set of Blue is the Warmest Color. Probably. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's con- interesting considering if Bound is truly an exploitation film, like everyone admits it. That's just then... a genre film. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 exploitation might have been the wrong word for me to use, but it's definitely it's a probably genre. fair. It's definitely a genre movie for show. Interesting. All right, dear listener, what are your recommendations for Else or Instead? What do you think about what we said so far? What um, sprinklings of conversation would you like to add to what we've brought so far? You can do that via those magical means that we all know as social media. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, do you know anything about social media means by which conversations may be held? I certainly do. Dear listener, you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Do we have any feedback coming in from the Facebook Miss Bohannon? Yes, we do. We have a couple of things. When we posted our Punch Drunk Love episode, uh, we did that just the other day. Uh, Fran King commented saying, glad to find that I'm not the only one outraged by the misdirected Super Bowl commercials. When <laughs> when Alexander mentioned the Vaude villains, I totally lost it. Good episode. Thank you, Fran. Thanks, Fran. We really... You uh, are most certainly not the only one outraged by those commercials. Yeah, or in, in uh, delighted by the Vaude villains either. So that's really a nice thing for you to say. And then we also had another comment on... A status about American Sniper. American Sniper had been picking the competition off the box office for three weeks running. Oh Have, my gosh, that phrased. is the worst. No, it's, I mean, it's intentionally phrased, but yeah. that's the worst. Um, if you've seen the film, we'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, Randall Blaze said that the film was... <laughs> you said Blaze too. I do it all the time. It's Baze. Oh! I say Blaze all the time. I think I transposed an L. I'm sorry, Randall. That's some odd flamer thing you're doing just because he's gay. That's awful. Shamed if you will. I, I thought she was implying that he was uh, a pothead. Oh my gosh, you guys are putting so many words in my mouth right now. R- Randall, Rand- do not listen to these psychopaths. Hey, Randall, don't you have an appointment to get to? Look at the clock, Randall. You know what time it is. Nothing would make me happier if at exactly 4.20 Randall listens to this. Nothing would make (laughs) me happier. Randall, when you listen to this episode, please, for the love of God, let us know what time it was when you got to this moment. Okay. 
he said, the film <laughs> was mere hero worship and nothing like the book that was uh, psychotic and myopic. Ooh. So, yeah. Um, FYI, dear listener, I heard on NPR on the way over here that American Sniper has been removed from the number one box office spot by none other than the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which I plan on seeing this very soon. So Colon, Sponge Out of Water. Sponge 3D. Out of Water. It's going to be awesome. It's the story of, um, you know, Patrick as a sniper and also SpongeBob as a sniper and their conflicted relationships and the PTSD that SpongeBob brings home to Squidward. It's a very, very sad story. Definitely. So, um, you definitely want to catch that. Thank film. you for, um, you, <laughs> thank you for talking to us on Facebook. Please continue talking to us on Facebook. We really appreciate it. We're lonely. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media that you'd like to share? Dustin, I miss you. I miss you too. I miss not touching each other, not seeing each other, not breathing in each other. I want you all the time. No one else. Tweets. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. I didn't even bother to insert tweets into that into that little bit of dialogue because it was funny enough on its own. I, I, I'm uncomfortably comfortable with what you just said, Dalton. I don't know what to think. The broship is strong. It is strong in this one. Um, here's an update for you, dear listener. At G.Y. Duke Fahut did not tell us what movie that was. Oh. I know. The mystery continues. This deserves its own serial-esque podcast in which we try to track him down and find out what the hell he was talking about. Hopefully he's okay. I certainly hope so. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, Shane Arrington wrote in and said, Dustin giving the interview a trash instead of a shelf is a very Boromir thing to do. Great show again, guys. Loved you, uh, love your top fives. Thanks, Shane. Brad Leperson wrote in and <laughs> sent us a link to the new Netflix Daredevil trailer, uh, which made me really happy. Um, so that was a fun trailer, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, Mr. Leperson. And uh, Brigham Cole sent me, uh, or sent us and me personally, a link uh, talking about the possibility of a John Wick 2, which got me really excited. So that's fun. Outstanding. Uh, uh, Brigham also went absolutely apeshit about... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage. And us talking about uh, wrestling and just basically sent us all of, uh, just a, a slew of Macho Man Randy Savage quotes. Yes, um, yes so, um, And that's really all we've got coming in uh, in the way of feedback uh, from Twitter, other than a great deal of tweets and retweets. I'm sorry, retweets and favorites, rather. So thank you very much, listener. Uh, once again, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, that's good underscore trash. I always uh, love hearing what you have to say. Um, or if it's just a weird news story or something you want to share, that's always fun, too. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You can, of course, give us feedback at Stitcher Internet Radio, also at iTunes. And uh, we do have an iTunes review, another five-star review with comment uh, from some mysterious figure that calls himself Brig35. I have no idea. I couldn't possibly imagine who that is. That, who that might be. Um, but uh, this is what the five-star review uh, titled, Good Trash Doesn't Mean Having a Bad Time. From Dustin's extensive knowledge to Dalton's holier-than-thou attitude, it's a great time The fuck around. is that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is immortalized on some internet source that you can never remove. 
always insightful, joyously effervescent, and fun to follow. Cannot recommend any more highly. So thank you, Brig35, you mystery man, whomever you may be. Perhaps he is a macho man himself, but... Oh, yeah. So there you go um, with that. We love hearing that sort of feedback. Of course, you can give us feedback also at a Gmail address, which is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you there as well. But enough of this. It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> And this is one of those few soirees we make into international cinema, um, and so we are going to talk about our favorite foreign language films today. That's right, favorite foreign films, brought to you by Blue is the Warmest Color. Blue is the Warmest Color. If you want sweet lesbian goodies, you probably need to see a French film. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. And so we're going to talk about... You're very welcome. We're going to talk about our soirees into... That's a French word. Into international cinema and uh, what we like and what we would recommend to the dear listener um, to check out in terms of expanding the old palate, you know, uh, get a more of a jouissance, uh, more of a sousson of uh, French and or other international films in um, our diets. And I begin with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? My... <clears throat> Sorry. My oh, favorite... My International films. Um, so, listener, as you know, I love action movies and uh, especially martial arts films. Uh, so I tried to force myself to limit those. So, uh, Hard Boiled and The Raid. I'm not going to say anything else uh, other than that the amazing John Woo directed Hard Boiled and it's the tits. And we've talked about The Raid on the show a lot. So, those are some international action films for you. Um, I really, 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 really like Rashomon. Um, which is a fairly early Akira Kurosawa film that we actually did an episode um, over for Good Trash de Cinema. Uh, another film that I saw because of the show, but uh, a little bit indirectly this time, and that is the German film The Lives of Others, which uh, Dustin mentioned. Um, I can't remember how it came up, but he mentioned it was an Elser instead, I believe, uh, way, way, way back, probably in one of the first ten episodes. Um, and I, I had heard of the film before, and I, I was like, oh, is it really good? And Dustin was like, yes, it's very good. So I finally I got around to checking that out a couple of years back, and I absolutely adore that movie. It is so good, so very good, um, and very moving, uh, and just a, a very interesting film about privacy and about how an act of privacy invasion can actually make you a better person uh, in the long run. Uh, it's a great film. And, um, you know, because we watched a French movie today, another French movie you should check out is um, <clears throat> The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, uh, which is a really – I think we've talked about that on the the show before, but that's a really great film you should check out. The The true story is nigh unbelievable. So just Google The Diving Bell and the Butterfly if you haven't already heard about it, listener. You're going to be kind of shocked. Thanks very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what are your international recommends? Um, if you want to go French, you could do the um, ever-popular Amelie. That's a good one. I haven't seen it in years, though, so I'd really like to see it um, Also again. known as the Manic Pixie French Girl. Yeah, should be fun. Fun times were had by all. Um, that one would be a good one to check out. Of course, anything by Studio Ghibli, uh, Miyazaki's films. Um, try and getting, if you want to go you know, all in, get the original dubs. Um, and let's see. Oh, and then one more. It's a, a British film that I, it's still one of my favorite films. Um, it's called Peter's Friends. I've, I've thought about having us watch it on the show before, but I don't know if there would really be any interest. It's basically a bunch 
of really famous British actors getting together um, at, it's Peter, uh, sorry, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, um, oh my gosh, I always forget all everyone's names, Trelawney from Harry Potter, and Emma, Emma, Thompson. Emma Thompson, and Umbridge, um, and then there's like two others. Al- Alex knows the British actors, mostly because of Harry Potter. Anyway, they're all in this movie, and they're playing a reuniting theater troupe, and it um, it's poignant, and it's funny, and then sad, and it's just, you know, a nice uh, British cinema dealing film thank you very much miss alexander bohannon um this is a hard one for me and so i know i'm pretentious it's hard for me to pick my favorite foreign movie i literally just rattled off the first ones that came to mind yeah and and, and you know what i'm gonna do right now I, i'm just gonna rattle uh, some some off you know i think you gotta see sergey eisenstein's battleship Potemkin, which is a silent film the other uh, only other silent film i'm gonna recommend is uh, nosferatu and it's definitely worth your time. I think as far as French films, uh, a good pick is uh, uh, Jean Vigo's um, Zero de Conduit, which is about uh, a bunch of boys in an orphanage, which is a uh, inspiration uh, for Lindsay Anderson's If, which is another great film. Um, Louis Bunuel, I'm going to recommend that obscure object of desire uh, from him. Uh, Kagamusha from Akira Kurosawa. And uh, I'm going to stop now. But there's a, lot of good. Good. there's a lot of good movies there. Well, we're going to move away from Blue is the Warmest Orange and uh, begin to talk more about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Blue is the new orange. <laughs> orange is the new blue. Black <laughs> is the warmest color. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Are you fired up, Miss Alexander Bohannon? I'm fired. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm fired up. Um, two things, one of which doesn't pertain to wrestling. One, the first is um, I'm doing a Sailor Moon rewatch with my roommate, Jen, and it is really fun because we're watching it in the uh, original Japanese subbed. And um, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in the subsequent seasons after the first um, sailors go through their thing. It's we're watch. We just finished Sailor Moon S and I think it's the next one, Sailor Moon S Supers, and, and then it gets into like really. I know it's silly, it's super silly, but it's fun. Like the Japanese confuse me. Yeah, there, um, there's actually. Hey, this could pair with blue is the warmest color because there are two um, lesbian sailors in the subsequent series. I've never seen an episode, but I'll take your word. Yeah, um, and it's and it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Like it's pretty obvious, and like everyone's cool with it. There's a point where um, they first encounter um, Heroku, who's one of the sailors, and they think that she is a guy. And then all the girls get all the sailors get crushes on her, and then they find out that she's a girl. And then like everyone feels really weird and then yeah so it's really interesting there's interesting stuff there um and then about wrestling <laughs> of so, course so i the saga continues um so i've been catching up on nxt for since 2015 happened neat stuff there i'm not going to talk about that but i am going to talk about uh the fact that there is a wrestling tabletop rpg and all my friends and i are going to play it and it's going to be great Cool. Yeah. It's it's I'm really excited. I didn't about want to it. be invited, that's fine. No, do you wanna play? I love tabletops, yes. Okay, well we didn't we were we didn't know if you would want to play. Oh, that was so nice of you guys to think of me. Well, no, we thought of you. We were just like, I don't know if Dalton would be into that. Kind yeah, of I'll thing. be into it. Okay. Anyway, so we're I gonna... like tabletops. Okay, well I'll get back to you on that. So it's gonna be really exciting. I downloaded the rules and um 
I'm going to play an ex ice skater. Um, <laughs> I'm going to play an ex ice skater anti hero heel named the Nutcracker. So it's going to be fabulous. Bless she's you. going to be Tanya Harding, is what she's going to do. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah. So we uh, and then Heath's character is going to be a monster type uh, named Kid Yeti. So it's going to be. Heath, Heath is the best. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm really excited about that, and I will keep everyone posted. Oh, also, there's going to be that Women's Fatal 4-Way coming this week, and Arthur and I are planning to watch it. That sounds oddly like a scene from Blue is the Warmest Color. Thank you very much. Boom. Boom. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up as well? Uh, not really. Um, a little bit. Uh, so 30 years ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Leonard Cohen performed Hallelujah Live for the first time. And uh, Newsweek published a uh, countdown of 60 to 1, uh, 60 covers of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which is one of the most covered songs in history with uh, a confirmed 300 different recordings. Um, yeah, three. Hundreds. Some of them are god awful, and Newsweek counted down from what they thought was the worst down to the best. And it's a really fun list. Uh, I might tweet a link to it, but I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, if you're interested, I'm not going to tweet a link. Who am I kidding? It, just, just Google Hallelujah Newsweek. Um, it's pretty easy to find. Um, the ones that they liked the most were um, one by Regina Spector that was actually never recorded. Uh, the very famous Jeff Buckley one uh, was number two. I can't remember number one was. Um, Oh, son of a bitch. It's from, like, 91, the guy that was in the Velvet Underground. Uh, it's along with the Jeff Buckley one, probably the most formative uh, into the version of Hallelujah that you're most familiar with now. Um, but, yeah, that's a great song that's been unfortunately covered several times. Dustin made a face when I as soon as I mentioned it. Oh, I just love Leonard Cohen. Oh, okay. I love him so much. Leonard Cohen's kind of a boss. Um, other than that, um, I am catching up right now. The sixth and final season of Justified has started airing, which uh, long-time listeners of the show probably... Excuse me, which longtime listeners of the show probably are already very familiar with my love of that Leonard Elmore Leonard adapted uh, television show on FX. Um, ah, Timothy Olyphant's just the bee's knees. Um, so yeah, the last season has started and it's very very strong so far. And um, I'll probably give you updates as the season progresses. But that's really all I've got going on right now. For not being fired up, you should talked a lot. Fair. You like talked as long as I did, and I was actually fired up. He so. is the one who talks. Yeah. Um, we interrupt Dalton's rambling for this breaking news bulletin. Commented on the Good Trash Genre Cast Facebook page on our episode about the interview, Caleb Masters writes, Dalton's description of Lewis Bloom in Nightcrawler as a coyote man, bug-eyed, predatory, gung-ho, American dream-loving sociopath is perhaps the most char- accurate description I've ever heard or read on on the character so far great show thanks caleb i like that you list, like to listen to hear me talk i can't even make words right now my heart hurts i'm done talking dustin i am also um not extremely fired up but i have a little thing coming up i'm going to albuquerque this very week Ooh. and i'm hoping not to take a uh, wrong turn at albuquerque while i'm there um that's a bugs bunny reference for you all yeah i got that i thought yeah. you're gonna go walter white on that one but all right. um there may be blue rock candy purchased while i'm down there because fun times uh, though I'm going to be giving a paper at the conference for the uh, Southwest PCA, that's the Southwest Pop Culture Association uh, meeting, and I'll be talking about surrealism 
and Alfred Hitchcock, and it's going to be good times, and I'm going to see a lot of good friends there, so very, very excited to do that, and maybe, just maybe, I'm going to port the blue snowball with me upon that trip and try to land an interview bonus episode for good trashy um, consumption for you all, and that's very, very exciting times. Oh, isn't he nice, listener? He really cares. <laughs> And uh, so we move on as we conclude the show, and we need to let you know about what we're going to be looking at next, which will be a little Woody Allen film called Annie Hall. It made some waves, and uh, people do know a thing or two about it. It won an Oscar, so it's definitely anti-trash in that way, and it's a romance, so it's also that, and it's Woody Allen, so problematic in other ways. So we will... (laughs) Deal with that as we need to when it comes up next week. In the meantime, dear listener, take a look at a movie, um, good trash or anti-trash, and have a good conversation because that's really what makes the movies and the experience of cinema a beautiful thing. And until we are back, we will um, see you, and we hope you enjoy some good movies. Until I'm home 